just a few thoughts this morning I'd like to share with you. And if you're turning to Hebrews 11, you probably already have in mind what we're going to be talking about this morning, and that's faith. Faith is so important to us as Christians, as children of God. And we'll read here some very important things about faith that Travis has already read for us. We'll, we'll look at those things again, but, you know, faith is, is the cornerstone in our service to God. Why, why do what we do if we don't have faith? Why are we here this morning if we don't have faith? And so during trying times such as these, faith really uh, kind of takes on a new shine, doesn't it? Faith is that, that underlying um, corner, that underlying rock that we can hold on to that will get us through trying times. So this morning, like I said, I wanted to share a few thoughts about faith. I'm sure you've heard and, and read these verses uh, before, but, you know, it takes on a little bit different um, meaning, if you will, when our times are really trying. So let's talk about some things about faith. And I titled the lesson, Faith, 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 and the idea of how important it is, and let's rejoice and recognize the importance of our faith and the importance of the faith that God has towards, has towards us. He will never leave us. He will never abandon us as long as we remain faithful to him. So let's start off by learning from the faith of others, and that's what chapter 11 in Hebrews is all about. It tells us all about the faith of others, the, those who have gone on before us. And the Hebrew writer spells out the faith of those in different ways and in different areas of life that they had faith. But as Travis read there for us in verses 1 and verse 6, the Hebrew writer tells us something very important about faith. In verse 1 he says, it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So right out from the beginning, we understand that faith is somewhat intangible. I can't see faith. I can't put my hands on faith. I can't um, build something out of faith physically. It's assurance. It's conviction. It's things hoped for. It's things not seen. So we understand that we're dealing in the realm of the intangible. Things we can't put our hands on, but they're there. Because the Hebrew writer says so. It's the assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then he goes into talk, talking about, look at all these people who have faith and how it got them through these very trying times. And verse 6 is also important because it says there, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So if we don't have faith, we can't be pleasing to God. We can come to the building and go through the motions, but if we're not doing it out of faith, we're not being pleasing to God. And that verse also tells us that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. It's not just that we um, come together and, and, and do the things we've been commanded to do, but he rewards us for that. And we know what the ultimate re reward is, home in heaven when this life is over. But think about the rewards along the way. Think about if we're faithful all along the way, how God rewards us and how he faithfully provides for his children. So let's understand that from the onset, the importance of understanding the definition of faith and understanding that without it, we can't be pleasing to God. 
So let's look at a couple of things here that the Hebrew writer points out. First of all, let's think about preparation. And we're not going to read all the examples here. I've just picked out a few that kind of um, lend themselves to the times that we're in right now. Verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God about the things not yet seen, see there's that intangible thing again, something in the future, something I can't quite put my hands on, but it's things not seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to what? To faith. See, it was the faithfulness of Noah and understanding that there's a flood coming. It's going to be 120 years from now. But he set out and built the ark anyway because he had faith in what God said would happen. So he made those preparations. And we have all sorts of application for that in our own lives, don't we? What are we preparing for? How far out in the future is it? We don't know. We don't know if the Lord will take our life tomorrow or if we'll be here when the Lord returns. But we have to be making those preparations all along the way. So to make sure that we are ready when that day comes. It's also uncertainty. In verse 8 it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going. Uncertainty. Do we know where we're going? Well, we, we make plans in our lives and we have uh, things that we want to accomplish and we put money in IRAs and we have life insurance policies and all those things in that preparation section there too, but are we really certain about our future? In this example, uh, Abraham, when he was called out of Ur in, Cal in, the, in the land of the Chaldeans, he didn't know where he was going. God said, I'm going to show you the land that you're going, but for now you got to go. And Abraham did. He didn't know where he was going, but he set out. He set out on the journey. But in this, in other examples, there's, there's something higher. And all these examples of faith understood that, as we'll read here in just a minute. But verse 9, it says, By faith he lived, as, again, speaking of, of Abraham, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He set out on the journey. He had his son and his grandson with him. He didn't know exactly where he was going. And he lived in that, in that land, as he's dwelling in that land with his son and his grandson. But he's looking for something higher. A city which has foundations, whose architect is God. Now come down to verse 13. It says, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such, uh, such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have opportunity to return. What does that mean? It means that they're not looking back about the the, the good old hometown that I came from, they're looking forward to that city where, where, that God has built, where God has designed and God has prepared. And they're not looking back at those, at the, at the hometown, at the things behind them. They're moving forward. And all these, it says here, all these died in faith without having received the promise. Think about Abraham. Abraham didn't see the promised land. He was living in it, but it wasn't the land that 
was going to be promised to them until much more time had passed and other things had to unfold for him to actually live there. It says that he was just dwelling in tents there. All these understood there was something higher than the present circumstances. And I like this example, too, about Moses. Come down to verse 23. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Remember, at Pharaoh had put out the edict, all the firstborn males of the Jews were to be killed. They didn't fear that. They didn't fear that, that edict from Pharaoh. Verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure the ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the, treatment of, uh, than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking for the reward. There again, looking ahead, looking forward looking to something out there that you can't see physically, but that is out there. And look at verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. And by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that, that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. So Moses' Moses' mother was not afraid of the edict of the king, and then when Moses came along and and Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let your people leave Egypt. He wasn't afraid of the king either. Not fearing the king is important. Not fearing uh, the laws of the land when they contradict God's law is important for the Christian. We are told to obey the laws of the land, and, and we would certainly do everything in our power to do so. But when they contradict the laws of God... We have to obey God rather than men. Put our faith and our confidence in him. And that has much more meaning when we think about our current situation, when, when so many things are being passed down about what we can and can't do as citizens of this country. We have to make sure that we obey the laws of God. Now, I'm not speaking of people who choose to do other things and because of health reasons and because of uh, rightful and, and thoughtful and honest things that they are doing. I'm not blasting anyone for that. But when the government comes and puts a padlock on our door, then we have to really see where our faith lies. What will we do? Will we obey God? Or will we obey men? So these times and what we're in right now really bring this to light, don't they? Where's our faith? Having thought about the, the faith of others Chapter 12 of Hebrews really helps us to focus our minds on putting that faith into practice. If you look there at verse uh, 1 of chapter 12, it says, Therefore, and whenever you see words like that, you understand that because of what I just said, now hear this. And so because of the, 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 all these examples I just gave you of these, these men and women of faith, now listen to this. He says, Therefore, in verse 1, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Since we have all those people, the cloud of witnesses around us, all these people that we can see and read about and understand, what do we do with that information? How do we put it into practice? And we see that 
the, 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 how we might say it in, in our common vernacular is, see what they did? See what they did? See what, see what Moses did and, and Noah and Abraham? You see what they did? Now learn from them. Importance of context there. Each one of these gives us a, a little glimpse of the context, and we can go back and, and, and dig more through because we have the benefit of the, the complete word of God and, and see all the circumstances that surround this. But the Hebrew writer gives us a little context in each one of those. Talking about Moses and the edict from Pharaoh. Talking about Abraham as he is a sojourner uh, in, in a foreign land. Uh, about Noah, how God was ready to destroy the whole earth, save for eight souls. So the context there is important. So that speaks to us now in the situation that we might be in. These things resonate more with us when we're in, in certain situations. When we have a, a pandemic that's, that's sweeping our whole world, does it help us to focus our mind and, and, our, and our, our service to God a little bit more? How will we respond? What will we do when we are in these kind of times? Certainly there has been no edict from, from our leadership to kill the firstborn. There has been no edict for, uh, from God that, that he is going to destroy the earth with a flood, as he told, told Noah. Certainly we're not to that level. But where is our faith? Helps us to put things in context and helps us to apply that to our own situation. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, look at, look at what they did. And think about your situation and put that in the right context. The second part of the verse, let us, not, uh, um, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. We could get bogged down in all, all the things that are going on in our, in our lives. And that can weigh us down. But he says, don't do that. Lay aside those encumbrances and the sin that easily entangles us. And then he says at the last part of the verse, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Paul uses the example of a runner and, and several times in his writings as well, running the race, finishing the course. The idea is that, that we're competing, that we're moving, that we're, 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 we're in a competition, so to speak. We're in a race. And Paul says, run in such a manner that you may win. We need to focus on Jesus and what he did when times are tough. Verse 2, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have troubling times in our lives, but how we deal with that, one way that we can deal with that is to focus on what Jesus did. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. What did Jesus do for us? We know. He was tortured. He was put to death. He was shamed. Have we reached that level yet? Have we endured what he has endured? But look what it says there. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And look how he handled it. For the joy set before him endured the cross. What joy was set before him? A couple of things. One, he's doing the will of the Father who sent him to do this. Who sent him to earth to redeem man from his sins. And that was joyful for him to be able to accomplish that. And then the idea, the very thing that he accomplished. One, pleasing the Father and carrying out his plan, and the two, the very plan itself of redeeming man from his sins. 
Only the blood of Christ can do that. And he knows that. And it was joyful for him to be able to do that. He despised the shame, but he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And also, think about this. Verse 3, For consider him who has endured such, such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. We read often about, Paul points out in the book of Romans, that Christ died for the ungodly. You know, we, we might think about good men and women who Christ died for, who we might say deserve to go to heaven, but Scripture tells us that, God, that Jesus died for the ungodly. He died for everyone. So when it says there, consider him who has endured such hostility, it's one thing for Jesus to die for what we would say good people. But Jesus died for the bad people also. He died for those people who are evil and wicked and might one day turn from their ways or they might not. But Jesus died for them also. So when we consider that, that he endured what he did knowing that most people would not obey the gospel. But he did it anyway. So we have a faith that we can put into practice thanks to all the witnesses that he talked about in chapter 11. And now he turns our focus to focusing on Jesus and the things that he did. So we ought not to be surprised that we're going to suffer as well. Look over with me now over in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. Our suffering is out there. The Bible warns us that it's there. Peter tells his readers here in verse 12 of Hebrew, uh, 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. So in verse 12 he says, there's nothing unusual here. You ought not to be surprised when you suffer. Why? Because there's suffering in the world. There's suffering in, in our day-to-day -day lives. There's suffering as long as we are in these earthly tents. There's suffering. Immediate context here, Peter's talking about uh, an oppression um, that would come upon the Christians specifically at the hands of the Roman government. But there's a general oppression that, that Christians still suffer today. And we know how that manifests itself. But the, the message here is, don't be surprised. There's suffering. It's going to happen. But compare your suffering to that of Christ. Again, this is, this is that example as the Hebrew writers used. So does Peter. He says, verse 13, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Verse 14, If you are reviled, for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory of, uh, and of God rests upon you. The, the inference here, again, is share the sufferings of Christ. You haven't, you haven't shared that. You, you're sharing in it, but you haven't reached the level that Christ reached. You haven't been put to death at the hands of men for the redemption of man. You haven't died for, uh, for sins you didn't commit. Verse 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. 
So the idea here is, is still using that comparison, but as he goes into verse 15, it says, you suffer in the right way. Verse 15 says, by no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if any of, any of you suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name let him glorify God. If, if, if you're out there practicing evil and you're suffering, hey, that's on you. But if you're out there and, and you're, and you're and trying to live a godly life and, and, and be a servant of God and be a servant to our Lord and you suffer, you count that as being blessed. That's difficult for us to, to get our arms around sometimes. Why should a child of God suffer? It's, it, it happens. As long as we're in this world, things are going to happen. We're going to suffer. But don't feel ashamed. In fact, at the end of verse 16, but in that name, let him glorify God. Do we glorify God when we suffer? It's not easy to do, is it? But he goes on to say here that the reason that you do that is because judgment is inevitable. Verse 17, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what will it be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Peter is saying, you Jews who are scattered abroad, judgment is here. Judgment is here, and that comes through the law of Christ. If you don't obey the law of Christ, get ready for judgment. And he says, how harsh must it be if it starts with, the, with, with God's own people? How harsh is it going to be for those who are outside of God's people? Verse 18, it says, and if it was with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? If God had to go through so much to save the righteous, if to save his people, and that is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, how much harsher will it be for those who continue to refuse to obey God? And then verse 19, Therefore, let us also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Of course, I can't say it any better than that. The will of God entrust their souls to the faithful creator in doing what's right. Live your life right. Suffer as a Christian, glorify God. Which leads us to our last point this morning. And this is, again, putting the, the rubber to the road. To consider it all joy, to count it all as joy when you suffer. Look over in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, a familiar passage to us, verses 2 and 3. And verse 4, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. All joy? Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials? As humans, we want to do the opposite, right? Oh, woe is me. Oh, this is terrible. How can I be joyful in the face of adversity? Well, we do. Various trials, verse, the second part here of verse, of verse 2. When you encounter various trials, what trials are those going to be? Whatever. Maybe it's losing your job. Maybe it's being bullied in school. Maybe it's um, suffering sickness or disease or maybe it's whatever. 
whatever the trials may be. And they're going to come upon us, as we've said over and over again. But look what the Hebrew writer says about this. This is a building up. He says, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So let's look at that again. Consider it all joy, uh, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your what? Of your faith produces endurance. So here's the connection. Where is your faith? Consider when you in, uh, all joy when you encounter various trials, and then he says, knowing that the testing of your faith. So the trials come along to test your faith. And where will you come down? The writer says here, it produces endurance. Each time we overcome the trial, we increase our endurance. I've used the example before of, you know, training for a race. If you're going to run a, a marathon and you've never really run before that much, are you going to go out the first day and run 26 miles? I guarantee you, you won't. You've got to build up to it. And each time you go out, you, you run a mile, then maybe you run a mile and a half, and so each time you build your endurance so that eventually you get to 25 miles and then you get to 26 miles. Every step along the way, you're building your endurance. The same goes with our faith. The same goes with overcoming the trials that come along in this life. Each time we overcome, our faith increases. If we are faithful to God, if we suffer as a Christian, and we glorify Him. Verse 4. What does it say there? It says we're perfected. And let endurance have its perfect result. So here, isn't that wonderful to think about? Perfect result. This is, this is God's plan. He wants us to endure faithfully the trials that come along in our life. So that what? So that we can be perfected. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Do you think as a child of God that we come up out of the waters of baptism that you're going to sit down on a, on a, on a throne and, and be in the presence of God and just have a, a wonderful life in this world for the rest of your life? No. You're going to come up out of those waters and, and you're going to be in the kingdom, but it's the spiritual kingdom that you're in. You, your body's still in the earthly kingdom. You still have to overcome the trials. You still have to be faithful to God in the face of adversity. But he says here, James says, let your endurance have a perfect result. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So if you do this, if you endure, if your faith remains, if you glorify God, you're going to be complete. You're not going to be lacking anything. You're going to be perfected in Christ. By what he's done for us and how we have responded to that and how we continue to respond when the going gets tough. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We end where we started, with the definition of faith. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Those words are important. Assurance and conviction. Make sure we can get through trying times. I commend this lesson to you with the hopes that you'll remember to be faithful not just through the good times, but through the tough times, too. And in so doing, if you suffer as a Christian, if you glorify God in the process, you'll be stronger on the other side. That's his promise to you.
I hope that you will take that promise and put it to work in your own life and remain faithful when the going gets tough. We offer an invitation at the close of our time. Number 69. What a friend we have in Jesus. Through all this, let's never lose sight of the fact that God's never going to abandon us. He's never going to forsake us. He's always going to be there for us. And what a wonderful friend we have in Jesus who has given his life to provide a way of salvation for us. If you have needs of the congregation, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.